young, I thought plans would save me. As a worrier and a perfectionist, I thought a well-thought-out plan would prevent surprise and would carry me beyond difficulty in life. So I started planning early. Growing up as the oldest child and only daughter in a Catholic family with a military-trained father and an achieving mother, I got the distinct impression that perfection was going to be my route to happiness and fulfillment. At a young age, I hatched the plan to be something important, and by the time I was in high school, that plan involved becoming the first female president of the United States. I couldn't do something run-of-the-mill, I reasoned. I needed to stand out from the crowd. I needed to prove my worth, and that was going to involve doing something nearly impossible. After all, there hadn't yet been a female president. So my goal was set, and I spent the next decade and a half assiduously working toward it. I went to Georgetown University and studied government, then headed straight to law school in an effort to get to my end goal as soon as possible. I had discovered that the Constitution would allow me to run for president by 2012, and I had my work cut out for me. And besides, if I had stopped school to work, my incredibly high student loan payments would kick in, and no entry-level job was going to help me pay those back. By mid-fall of my first year of law school, the cracks in my plan began to show. I hated it. It turned out law school wasn't all about seeking justice and helping the underdog, which was somehow what I envisioned before getting there. Law school was all about teaching you to be able to argue both sides of any argument dispassionately, and justice was a word that rarely, if ever, came up. That same fall, I sat in a sandwich shop and hatched a half-baked new plan to open a similar sandwich shop and get my mother, who had always wanted to go to law school herself, to join me in the plan. I was miserable and wanted any way out I could muster. I had found a lovely prepared food shop near my law school in Newton, Massachusetts, and reasoned that I could open one up myself without another day of education. Unsurprisingly, my mother didn't bite at this idea, and instead convinced me to stay in law school for fear that I'd regret it if I left. I had been planning on it for a decade by then, after all. After graduation, I practiced law for five years, rather unhappily, and dreamed of a way out of being a lawyer. Instead, four months after having my first baby, a girl, I began a PhD program in women's studies. While perhaps less important than being president of the United States, I decided that having a PhD and being a professor would still make my life seem valuable and struck off in this new direction. My worth still depended on what other people thought of me, and I reasoned that no one would find my path worthy unless I had yet another advanced degree. I was also still operating under the weight of a serious perfectionism. I felt like I needed to be the best at everything I did, and this made trying new things quite daunting. I didn't realize that I had taken this burden into parenting as well. When my daughter was 15 months old, we discovered that her development was behind her peers. Three sweet older women from early intervention came to our apartment to test Gabby in a variety of areas, and by the time they left, declared that she was behind in all of the six areas they tested. I was shell-shocked. My daughter began daily speech, occupational and physical therapy, and suddenly my life revolved around making sure that she caught up with her peers. I felt like a failure. 
I had yet to do anything, quote, important by the impossible standards I had set for myself. And I'd had a daughter that with her challenges, few would consider perfect. Prior to having children, I had thought that having a daughter would be a bit like having a little doppelganger. I imagined that my daughter would be just like me, except with the best parts of my husband added in. I imagined us dressing alike, thinking alike. I envisioned helping her navigate the world as a woman. I saw myself expertly guiding her through the college decision process. Quickly, I learned the necessary lesson that our children are their own people, not extensions of us as parents. My daughter's personality and lessons and challenges were her own, not a second chance to prove my own perfection. My daughter turned out to be the biggest gift I've ever received because she changed the way I look at life and what matters. She made me see myself and my own life differently. Somewhere along the line, it occurred to me that if I judged her worth by the standards I'd set up for myself, perfection and importance as perceived by the outside world, her life would seem not to have value. But I knew this wasn't true. My daughter had conveyed her joy and her wonder at life since long before she could talk, and she made people feel loved with just her smile and her shining blue eyes. She made me realize that our value isn't based on our importance or the impossible goals we reach. Instead, our value is inherent. It's not something we have to prove to other people or convince anyone of. It's ours from the start, and no one can take it away from us much less granted to us. It is God-given and it is ours regardless of what other people do or think of us. This realization helped me to accept myself as I was and to stop chasing some unattainable ideal as a way of proving my worth. This helped me to love myself and my life as it was, to appreciate the small moments in the day and to look for joy all around me. When I started keeping a gratitude journal consistently, at the insistence of Oprah, whose show I had scheduled my law school classes around, I noticed how the smallest joys in my days made such a difference. Seeing sunshine, or having a great conversation with a friend, or laughing with my children were what made my list of things I was grateful for at the end of a long day. The more I noticed this to be true, the more grateful I felt for the small things in my life, and the more I focused on those regardless of what larger worries sometimes plagued my mind. Today, my world looks so different from the one I planned when I was young. It is, in fact, so much better than the life that I planned. It is full of simple wonders and unexpected surprises. Life has required me to become more flexible, to fly without too many plans, and to make the most of what comes my way. This isn't to say I don't have goals that I work toward. I do. But I also know that there is only so much that we can plan ahead of time. Because of my daughter, though, I am even more committed to making this world a better one. Having a child with special needs has shown me intimately the value of kindness. In a world that can be uncaring and cruel, especially to anyone seen as different, I have watched the way my heart soars when I see someone being kind to my daughter. I have also witnessed the effect of her kindness as an open-hearted and loving child. People respond to kindness in ways that are hard to describe in words, but are evident nonetheless. 
On Friday nights when we lived in San Francisco, we would walk through the evening fog to a small Italian restaurant around the corner from our house. We went there so frequently that we got to know the owners, the waiters, and waitresses. Before long, my daughter wanted to go into the back of the kitchen to say hi to the people working there. She learned the names of every dishwasher and line cook. Each time we were there for dinner, Gabby would walk up to the back of the kitchen and say hi to each of them. And I could see each of them light up when she would do it. The value of the smallest bit of human kindness, the light of recognition in one's eyes, and the power of remembering people's names was evident. When my husband and I would go into this restaurant by ourselves, everyone's first question was, where is Gabby? She made an impression. Her kindness affected people and caused them to remember her. Though so much is harder for my daughter than it is for other people, her heart and her goodness shine through in a way that is unmistakable. A smile from her with her twinkling eyes or a kind word from her stay with people. They are unaccustomed to a 12-year-old or maybe someone of any age interacting in this way. It reminds me of what Maya Angelou used to say. People will forget what you've said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. I am now guided by these words and by the Dalai Lamas who said, My religion is kindness. I teach both my children the importance of being kind, and I hope that our actions can show this to other people. I now believe it is not my plans or our accomplishments that mark the value of our lives, but my presence, the joy I extract from my daily life, my gratitude, and the kindness I extend to myself and others that really matter. This is where my focus now is, and on making the world a better place for my children. As far as being president, that dream of mine has long been gone. I recently heard Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements, say, however, that each of us are the president of our own nation, meaning of our own bodies and minds. He said that we should all think about what kind of leaders we are of our own realities. I find this concept so fascinating. And it turns out I was president of my own country all along. And so are you. What have you learned about yourself from sharing your story? I am writing a book called Beacon and Joy, which is the same as the name of my website. Both are named after the intersection I lived at in Boston when our daughter was born. The book is about the ways I changed as a person after having my daughter. I used to not be able to talk about her without crying because she's so dear to me and because I used to worry so much that other people would judge her or me as her mother. Sharing my story has helped me speak more openly about my truth and to see how my story is connected both from within as far as the experiences I've had over my life, but also to see what my story might be able to teach others, including people who are achievement-driven, perfectionist people-pleasers like I used to be. What is your biggest dream? I dream of a world where all individuals are respected and loved for who they are, where people are able to be themselves without fearing reprisal from people who haven't felt brave enough to live their deepest truth. I also dream of a world for my children where kindness is the rule rather than the exception. Having seen the value of kindness in my own life, 
I want to spread as much of it as I possibly can. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard, and we want to share yours. For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time.